Who are you going to call for all your karate needs? Honor Athletics, of course. 770-945-5150. HonorAthletics.com. And hey, guys, don't forget to use the code WILDCATDOJO as you're checking out for your 10% discount. As always, thanks, Honor Athletics. This is Wildcat Dojo Conversations. Hi, and welcome back. Sensei Michelle here. Sensei Jackie here. And Landon's here. And today our guest is Brian. Brian is Landon's dad. He's also a personal trainer and an endurance coach. And he's also a lover of mountain bike racing. That's his passion right now. But he does road ride and run. I just, I can't say enough times how much I love that R alliteration. (laughs) Say it three times fast. (laughs) So welcome, Brian. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited because today we're going to talk about the karate saying, Zen Ken Ishua. If you're a regular listener, you know that it's also said Zen Ken Ich or Zen Ken Ichi. And what it means is strong mind, strong body, strong spirit. Or put more plainly, if you make your body strong and you keep your mind strong, then your spirit will be able to achieve more and more of the impossible. And we think that that completely relates to everything that you guys do. Do you think we're on the correct page here, Brian? Absolutely. I think in competition, for the most part, a lot of us have the same fitness. It's just a matter of who can mentally stay strong enough to get to the finish line first. That's a a great beginning. One of the things I want to start out with is I'd like to get your take on how you apply to your training and your goals and even your job the idea that the person has to be internally strong as well as externally strong. Yeah, I mean, definitely the the physical act of gaining triathlon skills really is not rocket science. It's mainly, you know, a combination of skills, technique, and rest and recovery. What you really can't necessarily teach someone is how to put their temporary discomfort away. And that's really something that I try and get my clients and athletes to focus on is while they're training to think about kind of compartmentalizing what they're feeling. Because in order to be your best, it's not always going to be comfortable. In fact, if you're really striving to do something that you've never done before, the likelihood of you being comfortable is pretty low. So how do you take that discomfort and realize that it's just temporary and it's going to be worth it when you get to the finish line and have that achievement with you forever? Do you, when you're training your clients, give them little spurts to make them be uncomfortable so that they can get used to the feeling? Absolutely. I mean, I I don't set out, especially for my clients that are training for long events, lasting, you know, several hours. I would never expect their training to be absolutely miserable for several hours, but I'm sure you're familiar with kind of interval-based training. Yes. And, you know, one of the things that I need to make sure of is that the end of every interval they're doing, they're experiencing 
on a scale of one to 10, at least a nine in the way of discomfort, because the majority of their sessions will have between eight to 10 experiences like that. And, you know, little by little, they're going to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And ultimately, that's what will allow them to be successful. Okay. We have so many questions for you. First off, can you just give us a quick, short example? Yeah, a, a real common acronym with that is what they call HIT. And that stands for High Intensity Interval Training. And people are doing, you know, interval-based training at studios like Orange Theory or Fit 45. Uh, People are doing HIT at CrossFit. It can be done indoors or outdoors. And it can really be done for any type of sport. It's definitely not a triathlon thing. And technically speaking... A high-intensity interval training type of effort would be something more than an aerobic jumping jack. So if you are aerobic, you can talk. Really, high-intensity interval-based training is reaching the state of being anaerobic, and that is when you are without oxygen. So you would not be able to have a conversation. So, to so be- Ryan, give us three things that we would do that would be an interval? So an interval um, from a high intensity perspective would be something along the lines of like, if we were going to go outside and do a run, we would start in kind of a, a comfortable, maintainable pace. Got it. And then maybe 35 to 45 seconds later, we would increase that to a run or kind of a push type of uncomfortable level. Got it. And then say the last 30 to 45 seconds would be that all out, oh my God, someone's chasing me. I've got to get away type of effort. And what I always try and tell people is if you've done an interval correctly, let's say it's a three minute interval. At the end of that three minutes, going any longer is not an option. So the fact that the clock ran out, that's just confirmation that you did it right. Okay, see, that's wonderful because I saw it as more like a hill and and you're going up and down. But what I'm hearing from the high intensity standpoint is that you're going up and up. Correct. Okay, I completely understand now. And I, I, I appreciate that. That was excellent. Now I can get back to some of the words that you used that we use. For example, you used the word more than once here that you are an endurance athlete. And so endurance is something that we also look for in martial arts. And obviously from the standpoint of physicality, what you guys do for endurance is do it. And that's what we do too. But what about from the kind of, from the psychological standpoint, do you have things that you specifically do? Do you have conversations while training to make that internal strength to get that long distance endurance? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that helps with the longer stuff that I train clients to do is the ability to pace yourself. And the the other thing that I always incorporate into their training 
is kind of what I coin a, a build methodology. So the easiest example is you're going for a 10 mile run. Think of it as a cone that is five miles away from your driveway. And I always have my clients kind of visualize that they need to run to the cone at a steady, maintainable pace because my expectation is they're going to run back to their driveway slightly faster. So one of the things that I always try and have my clients do is finish strong. And by learning how to pace yourself, that starts to happen because in the very early stages of most clients' endurance careers, their first three to four miles of a 10-mile run are their best three or four miles. And then it's downhill from there. So that's really the biggest thing that I try and get clients to do is no matter what distance or time you're doing, split it in half and make the second half better. Because that way you get back to your driveway per se, full of an endorphin rush that makes you want to do it again. And learning to pace yourself is not an easy thing to do. It's not. And Landon can definitely speak to that. (laughs) Now that pacing, that's something that you can work on with equipment, like your Fitbits and so on and so forth, because you can watch your pace. Am I correct on that? I don't wear Fitbits, so I could be wrong. And I apologize if I am. No, you're, you're definitely spot on. There's a lot of technology that's in my sport right now. We have things to monitor pace, distance, heart rate, wattage on the bike, which is a mathematical calculation similar to a light bulb. So there's no lack of technology. And I have clients with something as simple as a Fitbit or Apple Watch all the way through something that, you know, is almost like a dashboard of information on their bike. That's something that clients kind of evolve into and depending upon their budget and what they're looking to get in the way of feedback, I help them make selections on which device is best for them. Even on mountain bikes, you have you guys have a lot of that? Yeah, they have um, the same technology that you would have on a road bike. See, now that's news to me too, because I always picture mountain bikes crashing. I don't mean to be disrespectful. I, I just think that they must crash a lot. Do they? Well, I Depends think- Depends on who's riding them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what I, what you're saying here is I'm talking from personal experience. That's where we went now. <laughs> Got it. No, what I meant. That's no, I'm teasing. An age old saying in, in cycling that there's those that have crashed and those that have just not crashed yet. so i i see that you can use the equipment to handle the physicality of the endurance but what methods do you guys draw upon for that ability to put away that temporary discomfort because we have a lot of that in martial arts and i'm very interested in what methods do you use anything in meditation do you take time beforehand during after for focusing Yeah, I I think it really depends. I think that some of my athletes are very much in touch with their inner 
piece for what it's worth. And they may do very well walking away from all the chaos before a race and meditating for 15 minutes. That wouldn't work for me. I tend to have a, a playlist with you know my favorite songs and stories behind those songs. And that kind of puts me in my race mode. I have other people that get very quiet. I have some that get very loud. Most, including myself, that get a bad belly. So I think what's important for all of us to think about is what's our why? And that is one thing that I try and remind my clients of when they start to suffer, either during training or after training, when they start complaining, is I ask them, you know, what is your why? Because your why needs to come from within. And I think that when that is indeed the case, that can help you kind of compartmentalize that discomfort. Okay, I have two places to go from here. One of them is, I'm going to tell you this super ridiculously short, and I hope a little bit of a giggle story. When I used to compete full time with a friend of mine, one of us would throw up before the competition and the other one would throw up after. (laughs) And it was the same every week for months and months on end. It went down like that. And that is an example of what you just said. Everybody has their own way of dealing with the with the butterflies. Yep. Yes. Now, on the idea of a person competing for their personal best, is it okay if I phrase it like that? Absolutely. I mean, that's a, a common term in my world is rather personal best. A lot of times you'll hear people talk about they PR'd and what that is, is a personal record for themselves. So... <clears throat> For instance, if um, someone's previous best 5K was 23 minutes and they managed to run 22 minutes and 30 seconds, you may hear them say, I PR'd this morning. And so there's a kind of a hip hip hooray for that. It's a very good feeling. (laughs) I'm having so much trouble not giggling like a a teenage boy who heard a bad word (laughs) when you say PR'd. I know it's silly, but I really, I'm giggling like a fiend, even though it doesn't mean anything, does it? (laughs) I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to show you my immature side, Brian, but I'm back on track now. Going to a personal best, that has in common with what we do because everything that a martial artist does in karate is always measured against themselves, not against the person beside them. And we have talked about that in podcasts before. There's nothing unhealthy about being competitive with Johnny and trying to jump up faster or get a better score or whatever. But in the bottom line, a martial artist is always in competition with himself. So one of the things we do in karate to talk about that is we use a lot of visualization. We use a lot of imagining. Does anything like that happen in endurance racing? Absolutely. I think that I've had clients tell me that they envision posting on their Facebook and Instagram a picture of them on their on the podium. If that's something that's going to motivate them and get them to dig deep, then, hey, I'll check the like button without a doubt. Um, <laughs> I've had other clients that are overcoming injuries or illness and They're motivated by the fact that they can even 
run. And that may, on the surface, appear to be a much better why, but it's no less or more important than someone who's doing it for another reason. So absolutely, um, in the way of using that imagery, I have clients that are racing on behalf of maybe a family member who has cancer and the race that they're doing is to benefit cancer. And they literally not only have the image of their mom or dad or whoever it may be, but they may have a picture of them on their bike. So that's really when you bring the mind and the body together, they see that. So I'm a huge fan of trying to put your mind elsewhere, because if you focus solely on what you're feeling in this very moment, the likelihood of slowing down or quitting is much higher. That makes a lot of sense. And I love the idea that within the the context of an endurance race, there's individuality. I just never thought of it before. And that's a great thing for me to learn. I want to ask Sensei Jackie and Landon if they have any questions that I haven't already tackled here. The only thing I would like to ask you, Brian, is do you consider that there's a personality type that does the best in endurance world or can anybody succeed? I do think that anyone can succeed. Now, having said that, if you look at the highest levels of endurance training, you're going to be surrounded by a bunch of type A, OCD, anal retent of pain in the ass, pain in the butts. <laughs> you're, you're speaking and interviewing with one of those people, but I <laughs> feel strongly that that's what's allowed me to be successful in this space because without structure, training will not go well. You look at the, the best athletes in my world, they're not just going out and they're going to see how they feel and that will determine how hard they go, how far they go. I love that line. I'm going to see how it goes today. If I feel like it, I'll go five. Otherwise, I'll just stop at three. Yeah. (laughs) And as a type A type of person who's also running a coaching business, my why has nothing to do with any of my clients' why. And they need to prepare for it how they see fit. But to go back to your question, type A... OCD, those are those are good traits in my world. <laughs> Not always easy to get along with, but good traits. How about you, Correct. Landon? Do you have any questions or anything you'd like to add here? No, I don't have any questions. I thought that this was very interesting, though. I agree with that 100%. I learned so many things already. And I learned that there is such unity between the endurance athlete and thought and the martial artist. And thought. And thought, yes. Yeah. As we found throughout this podcast, we have more in common than we have different. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I I will say just in closing that one of the things that I've always admired about Landon's practice and what you guys do is at the end of the day, it's all about passion. And I think that that is ultimately the biggest similarity that I see between you know, your world and my world is in order to be successful, you need to be passionate. And I see over and over again, my daughter 
Landon's sister is a passionate dancer. And I know nothing about dancing, much like I know absolutely nothing about nunchucks or any of the other things that are in Landon's suitcase. (laughs) But I do know that both of them, including the two of you, are incredibly passionate about your sport. And ultimately, I think that is why all of you guys are as happy and successful as you are doing it. Shelby, Landon's mom, always likes to say run happy because what's the sense of running miserable? So karate happy, dance happy, (laughs) do more of what you love. And you bike happy. (laughs) Always. And before we go, I also want to tell everybody how to get in touch with us. And we'll have a picture of both Shelby and Brian, who are recently both on the show. Up on our webpage, so our webpage is wildcatdojo.com, and when you go to the page, you have to click Dojo Conversations, which is on the left-hand side, fourth or fifth link down, and you'll get all of our pictures, everything we've been doing. You can listen to all the episodes, so go on there and check us out. Want to leave us a message? Do it on Facebook at Wildcat Dojo. Do it on AOL at Dojo Conversations, or do it by phone or text at 954-350. 1915. Okay, so this is the part where I say thanks so much. It was a fun, fun interview. I I enjoyed it completely. Right, Landon? Uh, Sensei, I really enjoyed it. I just want to thank you for having me. And if there's anything I can ever do for any of your listeners in something that I am passionate about, it would be my pleasure to help them. What a good idea. If you're a listener and you have any inkling for training in any sort, get in touch with us. We'll hook you up. We won't be selfish and keep them all to ourselves. Are you sure? (laughs) Okay, we're out of here. Say goodbye. Thank you for listening. And I can't wait for the next episode. Me too. I'm excited always. Speaking of passion. And thank you all for listening. See you next week. This is Sensei Michelle signing off. Thanks for being here. Hope you join us again next week on Wildcat Dojo Conversations.